Welcome to PSQH, the podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talk to Tori Ritchie, Director of Intelligence at SG2, about what hospital capacity will look like over the next decade. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Tori Ritchie, Director of Intelligence at SG2. Welcome, Tori. Hello, Jay. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And uh, before we talk about uh, the impact of change forecast and, and sort of what the hospital capacity is going to look like over the next decade, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do at SG2. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I am a senior director on the SG2 intelligence team. And really, the, the primary function of my role is to lead up our forecasting efforts. So I work uh, across the intelligence team with all of our service line experts and subject matter experts thinking through, you know, what are the stories that we need to fold into the impact of change forecast on an annual basis. Um, but then I also work across SG2 and broader Vizient to work on you know, product enhancements for the tool, uh, thinking through future proofing of the tool, what are the types of questions that our clients are asking today, how might that change in the future, and then how does our product itself need to need to change to meet our, our members' needs? Excellent. Well, uh, let's jump into it. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what the impact of change forecast is and what some of the highlights were from the latest report. Absolutely. So the impact of change forecast is a demand-based forecast that we refresh on an annual basis. Uh, we forecast both inpatient discharges inpatient days, and outpatient volume, uh, looking at how utilization is going to change at a disease-based level for both adults and pediatric populations over the next 10 years. Um, there are, there's a lot of granularity in this forecast. We forecast, I think, upwards of 27,000 disease and procedure combinations. Uh, we call those care groups. So something like, uh, you know, septicemia and mechanical ventilation, for example, might be a, a care group that we forecast. Um, so really thinking through what are the specific drivers uh, at that level of detail, you know, what is pushing up or either pulling down demand, uh, helping our, our members to prepare for how utilization might be changing across various sites of care. Uh, and what were some of the findings that came out of the latest report? So a, a couple of key trends coming out of the latest report, a number, the, the top trend, and this is something we've been talking about for a couple of years now, that there's a general rising of patient acuity that we are experiencing across the, the full care continuum. Um, this is something that we've seen as the, the population has continued to age. Think about, you know, baby boomers that um, continue to age into that, that Medicare population. Um, link, uh, Average life expectancy, you know, while it might be down over the last couple of years, it's, it's generally up from, from historical levels. Uh, we're, we're seeing as well increased survivorship. So due to innovation um, and you know, stroke survivorship, cancer, um, cardiovascular conditions, we're seeing then just this continuous churn of patients that we didn't see before. Um, so they're, the patients that are out there, they're likely more complex and health systems have treated in the past. Um, they're going to require additional access to um, services as well as specialists. 
And so this is gonna, this is going to continue to put uh, a strain or capacity crunch on organizations. Um, so that's, that's one key trend. The other one, uh, due to in part this rising patient acuity as well as you know, other, other drivers, um, there's this mounting need for organizations to redesign the way that they're providing care to, to patients. Um, consumer preferences are changing and we need to change our care pathways along with that. Um, there's an increase, you know, there's increased scrutiny from payers. So payer pressure is forcing organizations to change the way that they provide care, as well as again, that, that rising patient acuity. Um, these are all some of the key contributors to, to push organizations to really innovate on those care models. Um, and you mentioned that, you, you know, you do this report annually. Um, did the kind of uh, years of the COVID pandemic throw off the numbers at all? Like, what, what did you sort of see uh, over those couple of years? And then how did that compare to this year? Yeah, that's a good question. So COVID certainly upended the way that care is being delivered. Um, if we think back to, to 2019, um, there were higher levels of inpatient utilization then, and what we saw as everything shut down and, and folks sheltered in place, we saw this rapid movement of volume from the inpatient care setting to outpatient care sites. And so that volume, a lot of that volume remains out. Um, we, we haven't seen a return of inpatient discharges to pre-COVID levels. We, we don't expect a volume to return to pre-COVID levels in that inpatient care setting uh, because largely these new systems have been put in place so that care can be provided in that ambulatory space. Um, so that that was a key driver of, of change um, at that time. You know, we're, we're largely over the COVID hump uh, volume. Things are more or less back to normal at, at this point. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest concern remains we saw an unprecedented level of uh, excess deaths over the last few years. And so we're still waiting to see really what those implications are on, on utilization overall. I, I think it's um, entirely possible that there's this grim calculus that we need to be thinking about um, folks who, who passed before their time and what the, the downstream impact is going to be then on, on healthcare services. There are just fewer people around um, than, you know, would, would otherwise be the case had the pandemic not, not occurred. So that's likely to have some sort of impact on utilization. Um, as well as the, the chronic disease population, by and large, you know, these individuals went without having their, their chronic conditions um, managed for a few years as, as mm. folks were uh, told to stay home and not come into a doctor's office unless needed. Um, so there's, there's likely as well a, a bit of an exacerbation of, of those conditions in select patient populations. So that, again, is a, a contributor to that rising, rising acuity story. Um, and how do you see hospital capacity being impacted over the next decade? That's a great question. Um, we think it's going to be a challenge uh, right now due to workforce and staffing sh shortages. Uh, 30,000 hospital beds are offline today that were available three years ago. Um, in addition, we've seen an increase in average length of stay. Uh, the the Vizient clinical database data um, suggests that we've seen a 10% increase in length of stay between 
end of 2019 to end of 2022. So that again, that that you know is is a part of that rising patient acuity story. Just to to sound like a, a broken record here, um, but the folks that are coming into that inpatient setting, they're staying for longer. Uh, so capacity is going to be a challenge. In addition, uh, being able to discharge to post-acute care sites like skilled nursing facilities, there is a huge backlog of skilled nursing facility beds, which is making it very difficult for patients to be discharged from the inpatient care setting. That's creating backlogs. Um, so that, that, I think, tees up nicely this idea that we need to figure out how we can provide care differently through those care redesign uh, measures. And I guess, you know, one, uh, one area that you're expecting to grow is home care. Um, what what are the implications yeah. of, of that expected increase uh, over the next few years? Yeah, so we're projecting about a 20% increase in home care utilization over the coming decade. Um, a, a couple of things here, you know, number one, building up offerings. We, we do believe that this is going to reduce pressure on some of those post-acute care sites like skilled nursing facilities. Um, and that's that's a positive um but this is i mean this is a difficult place to get into and so what we communicate to our members on a daily basis is you need to be really thoughtful about how you approach uh home care offerings um we often recommend taking a portfolio approach to care so what that means is you know thinking through what is that full suite of services to provide to a patient population you know, maybe you decide that you want to offer acute care at home. Well, in order to do that, what are the nodes that you need to have available? You you probably need observation at home. You need hospital at home. Um, perhaps acute care at home isn't right for you and you want to offer chronic care services at home. What, what exactly does that mean? Do you have the primary care resources or um, mobile integrated health? Do you have dialysis services at home? You know, what, again, how can you make sure you're really meeting all of the patient needs for that, that segment of the population instead of just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what's going to stick? Um, because there is a lot of opportunity to, to drive, improve outcomes, drive quality, uh, improve uh, you know, patient satisfaction um, if you do this thoughtfully. So, so definitely encourage folks to think through that. And then in addition, home has been just in the news so much. I feel like everybody is talking about how do we get into that home space. So I think organizations, our, our traditional healthcare providers, they need to be prepared for disruptors to come into this space, same as we've seen um, disruptors come into, you know, the, the ASC space or, or retail space, you know, so think about um, private equity groups perhaps moving into the home space, think about some of the other disruptors that we've seen, uh, Walmart, Amazon, uh, what have you, you know, all, all potential to, to see expansion in the home space as well. Um, and one uh, sort of thing that did emerge positively out of the uh, pandemic was the use of telehealth. Um, what kind of impact will that have on, you know, this sort of capacity crunch that we've got going on? So telehealth, we believe, isn't going anywhere. Um, and telehealth is really an access story. So it's, it's opened access up to folks who didn't otherwise have it. 
Um, it, it really hasn't done much at this point to improve supply. Uh, there, there still needs to be a, a provider available to, to offer those services. And so as we are still experiencing you know, shortages on the provider side, um, so too will be on the, the telehealth side. You know, that said, there are policies that are um, that are in place to help improve you know, telehealth providers to, to cross state lines or, or markets, and we expect that to improve over the coming decade, um, but certainly experiencing some growing pains there at the moment. So what we expect is um, to really see a bifurcation as well between telehealth adoption for, for new patients so think about the first time that you went into your primary care doctor's office versus established patients. Think of, you know, uh, an individual that has diabetes that needs to see their their medical provider multiple times a year. We see we see telehealth really being a, a viable option for those established patients. Uh, think chronic care individuals, behavioral health individuals. Those that are having this frequent touch points, that's where the payment parity is today. Um, it's much harder for those new patients for providers to get reimbursement for those services. Uh, so again, there's there's going to be different trends depending on who the patient population is. And and one thing that we keep coming back to is that you know there's staffing shortages and that'll continue. Um, what kind of uh, advice do you have for healthcare organizations as as they approach these coming years? You know struggling to maintain full staffs. Sure. Um, think about how you're deploying the staff that you have. Uh, are there ways that you can ensure folks are working at type, top of license? Is there a way that perhaps you can work on um, improving access in lower acuity care settings so that then those who are uh, in those higher acuity care settings and, and struggling from a capacity perspective, um, the, the care burden on them in the end is, is less. Um, think as well about, you know, how can you perhaps deploy AI or, or other um, digital health infrastructure in order to perhaps proactively flag and monitor patients? Uh, again, with the thought of if you're able to uh, prevent the escalation of a patient condition that's going to be less resource intensive for you uh, and, and thus, you know, hopefully offset some of that some of that care burden. Um, but it really, it, it largely is going to boil down to those care redesign initiatives. And so, and I guess basically now you'll have another report uh, next year uh, about this time. Uh, are you expecting to see sort of uh, the current trends continuing or do you kind of, uh, you know, I guess have to wait and see? <laughs> yeah, so we we, were, we refresh the forecast each year. Um, the work for that really starts late. It'll start late fall, early winter for us, um, and then we'll, we'll refresh the data in Q1 of, of 2024. Um, you know, at this point, I haven't seen anything come across that's going to dramatically shake up our, our projections. I, I think, you know, again, at... 1045 on July 18th. Um, there, there hasn't been anything to really uh, shock the airwaves here, um, but that's not to say that something won't pop up certainly in the, the coming weeks and months. Um, something that we're keeping a really, really close eye on is you know, innovation and technology gains. 
um, what's coming down the pike that might really catalyze the way that care is being delivered and how might that help transform care delivery. I, I think a good example of that is um, the, the anti-obesity medications that, that we've seen come on the market in the last year. You know, a year ago, if you and I were having this conversation, I'd probably be telling you about what a great growth opportunity bariatric surgery is. Mm -hmm. um, but now knowing what I know today, the, the landscape's changed quite dramatically. Uh, there, there are these new medications that's you know, going to, to reduce or perhaps even eliminate the need for surgical intervention there. Um, so it's just one of those things. Uh, we, we, we've kind of got our finger on the pulse and, and trying to track things as best we can as, as new developments come across our desk. Excellent. Well, Tori, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. Great. Thank you so much, Jay. All right. That wraps up episode 89 of PSQH the podcast. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks again and stay safe.